Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. For the sake of the name... We will face opposition by standing firm in the truth. For the sake of the name, we will imitate what is good by imitating Christ. For the sake of the name, we will show hospitality to others in Christ. Well, good morning. Oh, come on. Y'all can't let first service beat y'all. Come on. Good morning. That's better. I'm glad all of y'all could be here on this special Sunday. Um, Before we get started, will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for the amazing opportunity that we have to come and worship you. And uh, I thank you for Christ and what he did for us on the cross, Lord, um, so that we can come into your presence and um, speak to you. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of our sins. 
And I thank you for every opportunity that we have in life to do good for your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Wow. There sure are a lot of you out there. Um, It's been an incredible journey getting to this point in my life. And God has used some amazing people here at McKinney um, involved in that. And so I just want to say thank you to everyone. Um, This church means so much to me. And I know it means so much to so many other people. So I just want to say thank you. Um, I'm really amazed at how God uses people here at McKinney with a heart to serve him in developing other people and other believers. And God calls us to love him and to love others. And one way that we do that is by encouraging each other and by showing each other hospitality. So I remember back to about my seventh grade year here at McKinney. Uh, I went to Wednesday night youth group every week, and it's called Herd for the middle school. And every week at Herd, there would be some sort of crazy challenge that the youth group would participate in. One person from each grade would volunteer to come up to the front and participate in these serious competitive events. I'm talking hardcore here. Like, who could fit the most marshmallows in their mouth and still say, chubby bunny? Or, who could get to the bottom of a bowl of ketchup and find the hot dog without using their hands? These were, these were pretty difficult. Um, if you want to hear some encouragement, you should have been there on Wednesday night because people were like, oh, you're so good at fitting all those marshmallows in your mouth and, getting to the, and still being able to talk. Or, but you're so good at holding your breath to get to the bottom of all that ketchup. Talk about encouragement. But in his word, God lays out what true Christian hospitality and encouragement look like. So, keeping with the theme, postcards from God, we're going to be looking at the book of 3 John today. So if you'll turn there, if you have your Bible. 3 John was written around the middle of the first century A.D. by uh, the disciple John, and it's a letter to a man named Gaius. So... I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 of 3 John. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. So, one thing that you might notice about these verses is that immediately, John opens with encouraging words. He says, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Chris Freeland preach on how love and truth are sometimes like two ends of a seesaw. And God has called us to find that balance between love and truth so that they can coexist. And John was a man that was really good at this. He was really good at loving and telling the truth when it needed to be told. And If we are to truly follow after God with everything that we have, then we have to love one another. Jesus calls us to love one another. 
Then in verse 2, he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. What an amazing compliment. I mean, as Christians, that's the best thing that someone, someone could say to us. I hope your physical condition is getting along as well as your spiritual one. And how do you keep your physical condition healthy? You nourish it with good food. You exercise. And in the same way, we have to exercise our spiritual condition by doing good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And we have to nourish our spiritual body with the bread of life, which is God's word. So, as followers of Christ, we have to love one another. And another way that John points out in these verses that we can do that is by showing godly hospitality. In verses 5 through 8, he commends Gaius on how well he's doing, showing godly hospitality. And then he says in verse 8, We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. And as Christians, we're always working together for the truth. It's our job to proclaim Christ's name to the entire world. And as we do that, we should become more like him as we work together for the truth. So, why is this important to us as 21st century Christians? Well, as people that love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, God has called us to become more like Christ every day. That should be our goal, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And Jesus was the most hospitable and encouraging man that ever walked the face of this planet. And so if our goal is to become more like Christ, we should follow his example and be hospitable and encouraging. And John has laid out in his third epistle that Gaius was a man who had this down. He was practicing this. He was getting along well. And so we can also take a, an example from Gaius. Um, but as we do this, we have to make sure that we don't become overly preoccupied, like Martha became overly preoccupied when Jesus and his followers came to visit her and her sister. We always have to remember who we're doing it for. It's not about us. It's about Christ. So what's the present-day application of this? Well, if there's, a, there's someone in the church that you know is new, and you don't welcome them or try to make contact with them or ask them how they're doing and make them feel comfortable, is that godly hospitality? No. Of course not. God calls us to get uncomfortable for his name. God doesn't call us to a life that's easy and comfortable. God says, you have to take up your cross daily and follow after me. You have to serve me with all of your heart if you want to follow after me. And so everything that we do is supposed to point to the one who saved us from our sin. It's supposed to point to Jesus, the man who came and died for our sin and was raised from the dead. And so God calls us as Christians to get in the game because a question that you have to ask yourself every day is, what am I doing for the sake of the name? How can I get in the game? I wake up every morning and ask God, what can I do for the sake of the name? And sometimes opportunities go by, and I watch them go by. And when, those, when that happens, you have to repent of your sin. Because we sin when we don't do God's will. And we can ask for opportunities to share his name as many times as we need. But we should be bold and brave for Christ, because he died for us. So, 
My friend Sam is going to come up here and talk to all of you about facing opposition. But before he does, I want to challenge everyone here today to love one another with everything that you have. Because it's for the sake of the name we encourage others in Christ. It's for the sake of the name that we show others hospitality in Christ. It's for the sake of the name. Jesus' name. We left off in verse 8, which talks about working together for the truth. Now, while we're working together for the truth, we will encounter those who are opposed to the truth. For the sake of the name, we will face that opposition. Many are opposed to the truth because it threatens their power. It threatens their political and social standing. We have examples of this in the four Gospels as the Pharisees persecuted Jesus. In John chapter 12, verses 47 and 48, the Pharisees plot to kill Jesus. In doing so, they exclaim, Here's a man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Pharisees were a power-hungry group. Anybody or anything that threatened their power had to be dealt with. Just like the Pharisees, the Sadducees were another power-hungry group in Scripture. We have record of this in the book of Acts as they persecute the early church. See, the early church proclaimed the truth, and the Sadducees felt threatened by that. So their response was persecution. In Acts chapter 4, John and Peter preached the gospel in the town square. And in doing so, it says that the leaders were greatly disturbed. So the leaders take John and Peter, arrest them, and later put them on trial. While they are on trial, they are questioned, by what power or what name did you do this? They're saying, we didn't give you the authority to proclaim this message. Tell us who gave you the authority so we can deal with it. Finally, the Sadducees say, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Opposition is always a possible response to the truth. The question is, though, how do we deal with it when it comes? Well, there was a man who had figured it out. It's the same man that wrote this letter. John was a man who was well aware of opposition, he was a man who was willing to face that opposition for the sake of the name. And he wanted to make sure Gaius did the same. That's why these next two verses are included. See, there was a leader in Gaius' church named Diotrephes. He was a man who was just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was a power-hungry man who felt as if his power was being threatened by the truth. Let's continue reading. Verse 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who do so, those who want to do so, and puts them out of the church. The word John uses to describe this man 
Diotrephes translates one who loves the preeminence. It was a guy who had to be the dominant one. He connived his way into an authoritative position in the church, and in that position, he magnified himself. He had no intention of serving others, but had every intention of being served. He was a guy with one agenda, his own. It was his way or the highway. He was a deceiver, like those mentioned by John in verse 7 of his second epistle. Therefore, when the traveling brothers came to the church to seek shelter, Diotrephes rejected them. If he was seeking as much power as he could, then the traveling brothers posed a threat to him, and likewise, so did those who helped him out. Still, John encouraged Gaius to face the opposition by continuing to show hospitality for the sake of the name. The Greek word for hospitality is love of strangers. Earlier in this epistle, John encouraged Gaius to show his love of strangers to the traveling missionaries because they went out for the sake of the name, as Chance pointed out. This is the perfect example of truth and love coexisting, John's repetitive theme in his three epistles. Diotrephes denied not only a love of strangers, but the truth as well. And all because he had to maintain the chief place. You know, it's truly sad in the manner that this man's name made the Bible. But in contrast, it is amazing for how Gaius is remembered. Gaius was in a rough spot. He had to choose between giving in to this powerful man and doing things his way or standing firm in the truth by facing the opposition for the sake of the name. He knew that by housing the missionaries, he was risking even being put out of the church. Notice all the verbs John uses to describe this man, Diotrephes. They're all in the present tense. Gossiping maliciously. Refuses to welcome brothers. Stops those who do so. And puts them out of the church. These verbs reveal the habitual work of a man who had worked his way into a position of power in the church by deceiving people. Putting someone out of the church was nothing new to Diotrephes. Regardless, John encouraged Gaius to face the opposition and be loyal to the truth. Verses 9 and 10 are rebuking verses. They rebuke a man who was malicious and destructive. There are verses about facing opposition. John had a bigger purpose in rebuking Diotrephes than simply calling a man out. He rebukes him so that God may be magnified. It is for the sake of the name that John himself faces opposition by rebuking false doctrine. In verse 10, John says he will call attention to Diotrephes' actions when he comes because, in fact, Diotrephes' actions are actions that challenge the authority of the truth. Through these two verses, John calls guys to be loyal to the truth by giving him an example of what not to do. In these two verses, he's saying, don't be like Diotrephes and follow your own agenda. Don't be intimidated by a man who loves the preeminence. 
And don't pattern your life after such a deceiver. He says, don't be a gossip. Don't be a man who doesn't promote hospitality and one who magnifies himself for his own glory. Instead, seek to glorify God. Are you facing the opposition by standing firm in the truth? Is it for the sake of his name? Or are you giving in to the opposition? Maybe you're the one creating the opposition for the sake of your name. Are truth and love your agenda? Or is self-glorification and preeminence your agenda? Whose agenda are you following? When it's all said and done, would you rather be remembered as a Gaius or a Diotrephes? What are you doing for the sake of the name? These are questions we must answer. Luckily, John had some insight to these questions. And now Kyle is going to come up here and share with us John's insight. Thank you, Sam. So what is God calling us to do for the sake of his name? John answers that question for us in verses 11 through 13. Now, as we look at these last few verses in 3 John, we're really going to focus most around verse 11 because it really ties together everything Sam and Chance have said already. It starts like this. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. I just love how John opens this. He says, dear friend, and then offers instruction to Gaius. Now, as humans, we're all fallen people. We're all prideful people. So when someone offers us instruction, our first line of defense is to say, I didn't do anything wrong. We're offer some kind of excuse for our actions. So John says, dear friend, and then offers instruction to Gaius. He wasn't trying to criticize Gaius or put him down in any way, but he was trying to spur him on towards the truth in love. Sadly, some of my Christian friends have, my non-Christian friends have this sort of twisted view of God. They view him as some, some deity, just sitting on his throne, waiting for us to mess up. And that could not be further from the truth. God did not create his laws to inconvenience us. Instead, his laws are for our good. Our God is a God of love. And it is for this God of love, it is for the sake of his name, that we're called to imitate what is good. Now, the world's twisted what good means and warped it. So in order to properly define what we're called to imitate, this good, we need to look at Christ, because Christ is our perfect example. I'm sure you've heard this logic before, but when we examine Christ, he's either one of three things. He's either our Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Our Christian faith can either mean everything to us, or it can mean nothing. Jesus' teaching is an all-or-nothing message. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If God's word is true, then we, be, we should be on fire for the sake of his name. We should do everything for him. But if it's false, then we should be out in the world, living for our own earthly pleasure, pleasures and for ourselves. Jesus' message is all or nothing. 
God even says in Revelation 3.16 that if we are lukewarm, he's about to spit us out of his mouth. So being lukewarm is not an option. Yet so many of us fall into that trap, that trap of this world. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed within us. I mean, just think about that. This world is passing away. So why are we so focused on it? Sure, my schedule can be full every single day of something to do. Maybe a party or a social gathering or anything. But I need to ask myself, what am I doing for the sake of his name? What am I doing for God today? Because I find it so easy. I can go an entire week without sharing my faith, sharing the good news of Christ with some random stranger. It's so easy to fall into that trap. So we need to continually ask ourselves, what are we doing for the sake of his name? Hebrews 12:2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's how we avoid this pitfall. If we focus on Christ in everything we do, we will be working for his name and we will be on fire for him. That's what John is telling us here. That's what he's telling Gaius. We need to imitate Christ in everything we do. Imitate God's son and imitate what is good. James 4, 17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. We know there's unsafe people in the world. So that means if we're on our way home from work or from school one day, and we're driving in the car and we see a homeless man on the side of the road, and we feel the Holy Spirit pulling on our hearts to share the gospel with him. If we don't share the gospel with him, then we're sinning. Because we know the good we ought to do. We sin in our silence. So pull the car over. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. Because I'm sure whatever you're going to do at your house or at school is not more important than God's kingdom. Let's let the Holy Spirit work through us. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in this crooked or depraved generation. I mean, how beautiful is that? The next verse, he calls us to shine like stars in the universe. Think about that. We are the light of Christ amidst a dark and depraved generation. We are the light in the body of Christ to this dark and depraved generation. God put us here on May 22nd at McKinney Memorial Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas for his glory. He put us here to imitate what is good and to imitate his son. He put us here to be a light of Christ. Now, I'd be willing to assume almost everyone in this room is familiar with the story of Esther in the Old Testament. But if you're not, I'll give a quick synopsis. Esther's a Jew, and her people are the Jews. And the Jews are set to be killed by royal decree. Esther's currently the queen of Persia, and she is scared to death. Because if she, if she approaches the king without being summoned, she could be put to death. Yet if she does nothing, her people will be killed. So she's torn with this decision. So her uncle Mordecai puts it this way in Esther 4.14 in his conversation with her. He says, Who knows, but you have come to royal position for such a time as this. God put us here in this moment. God put you here in this moment for him, for his glory, for the sake of his name. So let us not keep on sinning in our silence, but keep each other accountable by being passionate about God's word. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's not succumb to apathy 
or fall in the rut of this world. Because nothing else in this world matters but the good news of Christ. Let us share his good news with the world by imitating him. Imitating what is good. Because we're all going to imitate something. Whether we imitate the pop icons on your television, or whether you imitate the creator of the universe, that decision's up to you. John doesn't stop there. But in the next verse, verse 12, he gives us an example of someone who is imitating what is good. It says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Demetrius is an example of what we should do. He's imitating what is good, and he's imitating Christ. He's being a light into the world. That's what my challenge is to you today. Do good. Hebrews 12.1 describes the Christian, the Christian life as a race. So are you pursuing God at a comfortable pace? Or are you in a headlong sprint towards our Lord and Savior? What are you doing for the sake of God's name? Are you doing all that's within your power to imitate what is good? Let us imitate love because God is love. 1 John 4.8 Let us imitate holiness because God is holy. 1 Peter 1.16 Let us imitate what is good. Let us imitate Christ. Let's be a light and body of Christ in this dark and depraved generation because nothing else matters. Please pray with me. Dear God, I, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the chance that uh, Sam, Chance, and I have gotten to come speak to this congregation. Lord, I thank you for speaking through us. God, I pray you keep us on fire for the sake of your name, that we would imitate you and your son always, God, because nothing else matters. God, please use us in everyday life that we may bring others to you and work for the glory of your kingdom and your power. God, thank you for all you've blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.